fellow travellers, or fellow non-travellers, welcome to another edition, number 17, of You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And today's subject, if I may, is poetry and travel. Poetry in motion, indeed. And before we get on with that, can I just introduce a couple of um, unexpected guests? Parakeets, who have um, decided to come and visit uh, my small garden and the tree just outside my bedroom, i.e. studio window. What what absolutely boggles me is that what they... Because they're quite exotic, if I'm not mistaken. So what are they doing in London SW16, apart from enjoying the uh, the cleaner-than-usual air and the absence of... Um, of of uh, aviation cars and other other uh, distractions. The urban myth is that they either escaped or were deliberately let out by uh, pet shop owners in the 1970s who were about to be hit by fines for having breached the licences of um, importing exotic birds. Uh, but I must say they do bring a welcome um, a welcome feel um, of abroad and uh, exotic climbs uh, for those of us who are not moving far from our rooms and but back to business back to business yes right um poetry in motion um poetry and travel there's quite a lot of it around actually poetry on the radio at the moment uh, as um radio 4 which i listen to a lot uh, seeks to find um reassuring and uplifting um uh, moments for us listeners in the midst of the gloom um but uh, is is poetry important in your life it hasn't been that important i must say um because it hasn't uh kind of informed where i travel with one exception um uh, it's it's obviously lovely to have words that accompany journeys um and it's only actually since we discovered that we could go nowhere that i've i've kind of been looking around for some some solace which of course poetry has always been really quite good at providing and also uh, a reminder of why travel is for you and i um the greatest of joys i wouldn't disagree with you on that uh, what i've found during my um, research uh, for this podcast is that um, although there were lots of half-remembered fragments of poems which have come back to me from my uh, school days. I can't say there was a great emphasis on um, poetry reading at home. What I have found is that modern poetry doesn't really seem to go in for what a lovely thing travel is and how it can expand your horizons. That seems to be something that uh, somehow ran out of steam in the uh, Victorian and Edwardian times. And the other thing is that although I've tried to find some representatives of uh, modern poems to actually to read, I found most of them are actually rather too dense and clever, really, to actually read out. And you actually have to read them three or four times 
uh, on the page to really get the benefit of them. And that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't make them very good to read out. An example is that um, I thought, uh, what a jolly jape it would be if we could find uh, a poem by Andrew Motion, seeing as we've called this podcast Poetry in Motion. Uh, And in fact, I did trawl through his works, and I even have uh, one book of his. And the only poem I could find of any relevance at all is called Discoveries of Geography, which is an interesting um, musing on on, um, how far you can travel in your imagination, sort of helped by old maps. I think that's what it's about, old atlases. But it is so complicated, so dense in a good way that uh, I decided not to include it. Sorry, Andrew. Well, I'm going to uh, later on bring you something by Brian Patton, who I think can still be classed as a modern poet, which um, I think slices straight through um, and uh, brings you very much uh, into the into the business of, of, of travel. Good. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to that. Well, we, we're both going to uh, look at our favourite poems in a sec. But um, before that, let's have some brief lines I think that's one of the things that uh, most of us will remember from poems is just the odd line, sometimes the opening line. And I've um, I've compiled a very small quiz here for you. And uh, let's see how well you do. <laughs> Question one. A much loved English poet who died 170 years ago next week, 23rd of April. His name? Well, you can probably guess his name. Um, I'm going to guess uh, one of the um, few poets who seem to have a decent lifespan. Um, this would be Wordsworth, who, if I'm not mistaken, was 80 uh, by the time he succumbed um, to, I think, pleurisy, which um, at the time, obviously, was um, a really, really good going um, and a lot better than his, his um, compatriots or his, his fellow poets. OK, well, look, I'm going to read you the first two lines of his best-known poem, I imagine and see if you can remember how it goes on. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills. I know the poem, uh, Daffodils, of course. Um, I have exactly no information on how it continues, although when you, when you, when you um, repeat it, I will, of course, nod sagely and say, of course, of course. Um, uh, I, I can only excuse this and my, my sparse knowledge of, um, of the genre on the fact that um, at my school in Crawley, English literature kind of ceased um, age age 15, and it certainly ceased for me. Um, so uh, apologies to him and to all the many lovers of his, his fine words. OK, well, um, uh, take a detention for that, Calder, but uh, <laughs> I understand your problem there. OK, it continues then. When all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Anyway, it goes on, I mean, in a fairly sort of splendid way for another three stanzas. And and it's probably a good time right now, if anybody could, which we can't, get to the Lake District to see um, a host of uh, daffodils um, spreading across uh, Ambleside, I think, was um, roughly where he lived, or was it Grasmere? Um, somewhere, somewhere up there, far beyond your reach and mine. Ah, yes, although I wonder if the daffodils uh, have actually begun to disappear, if you see what I mean. Uh, bluebells, I think, are possibly the order of the day now. Certainly in our patch of garden. Doesn't scan as well as daffodils. <laughs> OK, right, here's another. This is a sub-question, by the way. This is also by Wordsworth. Um, and 
is very relevant to you. You need to tell me what the title of this poem is. Earth has not anything to show more fair. Dull would he be of soul who could pass by a sight so touching in its majesty. Oh, gosh, it it is one of the world's great wonders. And uh, forgive me, I can't remember what it is. So, uh, nul point so far. Okay, it's composed upon Westminster Bridge, 3rd of September, 1802. So how far is that from your home? Um, it's uh, under um, under a mile, yes. Oh dear, oh dear. Right, okay, yes. Right. Um, two more questions. Go on then. Now, this is a very famous um, poetic traveller, uh, and who is it describing? Tell me, O oh muse, of that ingenious hero who travelled far and wide after he had sacked the famous town of Troy, many cities did he visit, and many were the nations with whose manners and customs he was acquainted. Pass, I'm afraid. If this was my specialist subject, um, I would be, I would be uh, laughed out of the uh, out of the mastermind studio. Sorry. Oh uh, well, it, no, but it is quite a difficult one. It's the opening lines from the Odyssey by Homer. So basically he's talking about um, Odysseus. Uh, of course, that great traveller. Of course, of course, yes. And um, perhaps uh, perhaps a, a contender for global um, all-time travel icon, um, Odysseus. I, th- I think he's, he's overlooked. Do you know what? I think he is overlooked. And uh, having uh, gorged myself on rather violent um, Netflix series recently, I can't help but feel that... Uh, he could make a comeback in as a uh, a, a modern superhero um, whose violent deeds and indeed problem solving uh, <laughs> qualities are uh, second to none. Uh, anyway, should we put that to the committee and see how we get on? I, I, I think we should. Yes. Um, okay. I do have another one here, which which contains a very famous line. But um, my question will be to you. Um, what institution uses these lines as a motto? OK, here is the poem. I'll tell you, it's called, it's from 1913. It's called The Golden Journey to Samarkand by a poet called James Elroy Flecker, who actually was born in um, uh, in Lewisham, uh, a stone's throw from where we live. But OK, here it is. Um, we are the pilgrims, master. We shall go always a little further. It may be beyond the last blue mountain barred with snow, across that angry or that glimmering sea, white on a throne or guarded in a cave, there lives a prophet who can understand why men were born. But surely we are brave who take the golden road to Samarkand. Now, the first few lines of those are used by um, which... um, uh, Augusta British Institution. Well, um, again, I'm I'm going to score exactly none on this, but I do appreciate you bringing um, James Elroy Flecker to the poetry party because um, the Golden Road to Samarkand is one of these great um, epic poems, which does um, reflect the Silk Road and all who uh, travelled along her. And I, I seem to recall it includes people like the the merchant princes of Baghdad and um various various Syrians and 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 Jews and uh, this this great um multicultural um superhighway so i enjoyed i enjoyed being taken on that journey to Samarkand which by the way if you ever get a chance is um uh well worth 
well worth the journey. Uh, uh, but uh, but do tell me, and um, I, I will apologise once again. Uh, well, it's the SAS, would you believe? <laughs> <laughs> Um, the well-known um, special forces, as opposed to the well-known and suffering um, Scandinavian airline, I presume. Quite right. And Samarkand, of course, is in Uzbekistan. Uh, Samarkand, yes, uh, very much the. Uh, so Samarkand, of course, old Soviet republic. Um, I've been lucky enough to travel on the. Silk Road through Uzbekistan. Samarkand is wonderful. Bukhara to the west, even more wonderful. And then Khiva, which is possibly a kind of detour off the Silk Road, is simply the most joyful place I have ever been. Well, that is very nice. And thank you for that advice. Um, And I'm going to give you one more question. Here is a poem also from the early 20th century. And again, I would ask if you could... um, Manage the second line. I'll give you the first line this time. I must go down to the seas again, to the lonely sea and the sky. Ah, oh, this is wonderful. Look, I can I can answer by saying, well, this is, of course, by um, Spike Milligan. And I could say, uh, I left my vest and socks there. I wonder if they're dry. <laughs> but I'm not going to. I'm going to say this is Sea Fever by John Macefield. And uh, yes, uh, all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by and the wheels kick and the wind song and the white sails shaking and a grey mist on the sea's face and a grey dawn breaking. I must go down to the seas again for the call of the running tide. And so the journey continues, the voyage continues. Oh, well, that is very well done. And uh, I think that marks the, uh, the end of the quiz. But also, that was, was that one of your favourite poems as well, which we're now going into? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Give me another of your, fa- your actual favourite poems then. Well, how kind of you to ask. Um, I'm going to uh, head down to the sea again with Brian Patton, of course, one of the Liverpool poets and um, uh, writing in a, a place where... It was for a while the most important port in the in the British Empire. Uh, sadly, no more. There is a boat down on the quay by Brian Patton. There's a boat down on the quay. Come home at last. The paint's chipped. The sails stained, as if time's pissed up against them. I imagine the sea routes it's followed, sailing through the world's sunken veins with its cargo of longings. A little boat that's nuzzled its way into the armpits of forest, that's sliced through the moon's reflection, through the phosphate that clings to the lips of waves. I knew its crew once, those boys manacled to freedom, who set sail over half a century ago, and were like giants to me, a solitary child in awe of oceans. Oh, that's very good. That really gets to the heart of travel, doesn't it, in some ways? Well, certainly when travel was um, not so much of a pleasure and more of a duty, yes, I think. Um, but um, Brian Patton is still, still with us, um, still, still wise. Indeed. Uh, OK, well, my go then. Uh, I'm going to choose one by um, John Cooper Clark, which doesn't really show tourism at its best. But um, uh, although I can't possibly do it in his inimitable accent, uh, it does um, go something like this. Uh, The title is Majorca, definitely with a J and not in the uh, way we now suppose to pronounce it, Majorca. Uh, It's Majorca. 
Fasten your seatbelts, says the voice inside the plane. You can hear no noise. Engines made by Rolls-Royce. Take your choice. Make mine Majorca. Check out the parachutes. Can't be found. Alert the passengers. They'll be drowned. A friendly mug says, settle down. When I come round, I'm gagged and bound for Majorca. Here comes the neat hostess and her unapproachable flip finesse. I found the meaning of the word excess. They've got little bags if you want to make a mess. I fancy Cuba, but it cost a lot less to Majorca. Whose blonde sand fondly kisses the cool fathoms of the blue Mediterranean. They packed us into the white hotel. You could still smell the polycell and the white paint in the air-conditioned cells and the waiter smells of fake Chanel. Goulois, garlic as well. Said, if I like, I could call him Miguel. Well, really. I got drunk with another fella who just brought up a previous paella, wanted a fight, but said they were yellow in Majorca. Uh, well, look, how ha- ha- lovely. Um, not least the um, gauwas and garlic, which, of course, for many uh, people, possibly including you, and if I may, Gerald, of whom we heard uh, last time and we may be hearing more of, um, that was your kind of first experience, was it not, of um, of, of abroad? Um, it certainly was mine, Dieppe, Dieppe 1970, I think. 1969, indeed. Um, so that that was joyful. I, di- I wasn't aware of that particular piece of work but i will enjoy looking up and reading it myself thank you i think if it's um available on youtube or some such read by the man you probably get a rather better experience but anyway um good fun isn't it and and sort of has a few good points in it as well okay another one from you then okay well um there is one place where i've just thought i must go there and can you believe i've not actually been to it um, even though it should be pretty accessible. This is Adelstrop by the uh, First World War poet Edward Thomas. Yes, I remember Adelstrop, the name, because one afternoon of heat, the express train drew up there unwantedly. It was late June. The steam hissed. Someone cleared his throat. No one left and no one came on the bare platform. What I saw was Adelstrop. Only the name. And willows, willow herb and grass and meadow sweet and haycocks dry, no whit less still and lonely fair than the high cloudlets in the sky. And for that minute a blackbird sang close by, and round him mistier, farther and farther, all the birds of Oxfordshire and Gloucestershire. So very brief, very lovely, um, and uh, with with some resonances now because obviously Adelstrop is one of the many stations which no longer exists in the in the Cotswolds, and um, yet express trains still draw up in various places unwantedly. That was good. I didn't know it, and I did enjoy it. I had heard the name uh, Adelstrop, but uh, often thought, I wonder what that is, where it is, and um, and now I know. Yes, and maybe we can maybe we could travel there one day, um, but probably not by train. Yeah, well, maybe bicycle. Yes, my go then. Uh, I've got a poem here by uh, Elizabeth Bishop, uh, an, an American um, poet, dates from nineteen fifty-three, and it is actually entitled "Questions of Travel." It begins. There are too many waterfalls here. The crowded streams hurry too rapidly down to the sea. 
and the pressure of so many clouds on the mountain tops makes them spill over the sides in soft slow motion, turning to waterfalls under our very eyes. Now, th- that's the sort of introduction. You sort of get the vague feeling that she's um, uh, not entirely delighted with the visit to, I don't know, Iguazu or um, one of those uh, brilliant waterfalls, uh, which we go um, in our um, hundreds of thousands or millions uh, when we can to visit. But I'm going to read a bit of the next stanza, which is when she's questioning um, the wisdom of all of this. Think of the long trip home. Should we have stayed at home and thought of here? Where should we be today? Is it right to be watching strangers in a play in this strangest of theatres? What childishness is it that while there's breath of life in our bodies, we are determined to rush to see the sun the other way round? The tiniest green hummingbird in the world. To stare at some inexplicable old stonework, inexplicable and impenetrable at any view, Instantly seen and always, always delightful? Or must we dream our dreams and have them too? And have we room for one more folded sunset, still quite warm? Uh, look, and and uh, how how surprising and um, a very, very different uh, attitude from, from Elizabeth Bishop. Um, jaded was the one word which sprang into my mind, which... Um, I, I don't think we are jaded by travel, you and I, and I hope our lovely listeners um just jaded by non-travel. Well, I think to be fair to her, she is actually trying to balance it. The poem goes on to sort of give the other side of the pictures because she's debating with herself should she be there is this a good thing and of course in these uh, in in the times of um uh well global um uh, warming and climate change rather than global pandemics this is a question that um, many of us uh, many people have been asking yes ah uh, let me let me um offer you one more this is by robert frost and i think that uh, many people, including you, will know it. The road not taken. Um, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveller. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was a grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how the way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. Ah, I think that's probably very deep, isn't it? It's about the journey of life and decision-making, and uh, we've been on lots of rambles and hikes where you are um, not quite sure when two paths diverge which one you should take do you ever feel regret uh, at uh, not having taken one of them ah well yes but but only in the manner of not not um i think uh, younger persons say fomo fear of missing out you know what what wonders would have lain at the other um uh, at the other path but um uh, mostly with you and i and um indeed when i'm on my own it tends to be um 
uh, flipping heck, um, look at the trouble that taking that this particular choice has, has got us into. And um, so, yeah, regret, but not not at uh, uh, merely at the misadventure that um, uh, seems to have happened. Um, talking of misadventure, may I lead us on to the next part of your cliffhanger? Um, this is your epic journey um, from from um, uh, Surrey to uh, San Sebastian, and um, and you and Gerald um, on the beach in that um, beautiful Spanish city that we uh, we we caught up with last time. That's true. Um, Gerald and I uh, on San Sebastian Beach, uh, part two. Um, if you remember rightly. Uh, I just got into my sleeping bag um, beside the sea and two French lads who were just a little further up the beach had um, produced a pistol. Um, Which actually, in in the days of um, uh, Franco's Spain, was all the unwiser. Indeed. So this is how it continues. If the chilly sea had been a shock, this revelation was traumatic. Guns were not a part of everyday life back in Coulston, where I came from, and though I had read plenty about them in the war stories devoured by all us schoolboys at the time, the only ones I'd actually seen were in the safe setting of the school cadet corps. With the benefit of a clearer head, I wouldn't have stuck around to find out whether the Frenchman would actually use his gun, but after the long journey, the barrage of new impressions, and, of course, the litre of wine, common sense was trumped by exhaustion. The sand made for a hard and uncomfortable bed, but the sea's reassuring rumble made falling asleep easy. I had many vivid dreams, one of which involved being shaken awake by an armed soldier. Except it wasn't a dream. Clearly recognisable against the sky's first light were the silhouettes of two bulky figures in green uniforms and sporting the shiny black tricorn hats, more suited to a comic opera than a widely feared police force. It was a pair of Guardia Civil policemen. (laughs) <laughs> honestly it's true <laughs> it was true well but and 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 the one thing i learned um, while you were traveling i was reading the hitchhiker's guide to europe where it just basically just said if the guardia civile show up in spain then then that's it you are <laughs> you're, you're 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 scuppered whatever the spanish for scuppered is other verbs are available for for your fate so well i can't wait to hear some more what, what a great um yeah. Well, you'll have to wait till uh, the next podcast, um, which is going to be about... It's going to be about school journeys. Now, this is both the journey to school, and yours was, I think, rather more exotic than mine, but also about school trips, where actually the height of um, excitement for me went no further than Essex and the City of London. You can find out exactly where next time. So that's school journeys on the next podcast of You Should Have Been There. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Mick Webb. And goodbye from me, Simon Calder. (laughs) 